four pastor in our 35. Wow, 35. We're part 35 in our series uh, uh, in the book of Mark, the urgency of the gospel to the urban soul. And we are faithfully marching through the book of Mark. And the Lord is truly, he is blessing us each and every week. And we are going to continue on on that journey today. Amen. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just thank you, Lord, uh, for this awesome opportunity to be able to come and to worship you and to hear directly from you, to be able to come in the midst of brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship, to be as one as you have called us to be. And we just thank you, Lord, for making that possible for this group of people right here, Lord. Lord, we just pray, Lord, uh, that our hearts are right, is ready to receive the word that you have for us. We don't want to just be hearers of your word. We pray, Lord, that we are actually doers of your word. And we just thank you, Lord, just for allowing us to be here. As the uh, praise worship leader says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the breath that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that everything that we do brings glory and honor to our risen King, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 I have a question. Have you ever had a friend, have you ever had an associate or a colleague who only wanted to be your friend or your companion for only as long as you were able to do something for them. You were able to offer them something. They befriended you strictly because of what you can offer them, or maybe you could bridge a connection to get where they're going. I remember that as a very early age, and I don't mind being the butt of jokes, but I remember at a very early age, I would say maybe around the fifth grade, I would be considered what most people would call a nerd, right? My wife doesn't think so, but yeah. <laughs> I would consider it a nerd, right? You know, typical thick glasses, pocket protector, and things of that nature, right? But I had a skill. I was a gymnast. I was a gymnast. I've been doing tumbling since the age of three. But in the fifth grade, they, at our school, they had a tumbling team, which was only reserved for seventh and eighth graders. And the coach actually saw me doing these tumbles in the field house, is what they used to call it, the gym house, the field house. And he says, hey, I want you on the team. Oh, you want me? Yes. I can be with the seventh and eighth graders tumbling with them? Yes, you sure can. Instantaneously, I was a superstar. And I had a bunch of friends, all of a sudden, that wanted to befriend me. Come to find out that they wanted to befriend me because they figured out I had an inside connection with the coach to get them on the team. And when the trials came out and they didn't make the team, what do you think happened to those friends? Bye-bye. But many times, but as soon as you no longer are able to offer up something that they want uh, for them, you hardly ever hear from them again. I'm sure we can all think of instances where that has happened. Maybe, just maybe, I'm not seeing anyone in here per se, but just maybe, maybe we're guilty of doing that ourselves. Say, hey, I need to 
get to know this person and be their friend because they can help me get to where I need to be. You know what, the longer that I am become a Christian, the more often I'm sad to see people, they make a profession of faith in Christ and they begin to follow him. But later they kind of seem to kind of fall by the wayside. They kind of seem to be very far from God. Some of these people have even been involved in ministry. I've seen it. I've worked with them. They've been in ministry, serving the Lord, full-time, part-time ministry, serving the Lord. But something went wrong. Now they're not only out of the ministry and away from the church, but they're not even proclaiming to be professionally believing in Jesus Christ. I think there are many causes for such failures. Sometimes things in life or ministry did not go as they hoped for. They, was, they go into these things and things are going to be like this. They had a plan. They had a 10-year, 5-year plan. Or perhaps maybe they got burned by other believers who violated their trust. Some had nagging doubts or, or difficult questions about the Bible that were fed into by the skeptics and they let it fester and it really caused them to stumble. In many cases, the person fell away just because of what it is, because of sin. Well, there are many different reasons why many people attend worship services or church. I found out that the root of every case that I've observed is that the person never really grasps of who Jesus really is. They never really grasped who he is and what he has done for them. Understanding Jesus' identity is crucial because our eternal destiny, it, it rests on believing the truth about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. So if you understand and believe who Jesus is, you will have eternal life. But if you have false notions about who Jesus is or false hopes about what he will do for you in this life, at some point, at some point, you will be disappointed and potentially turn your back on the risen king. As we enter into part 35, we're going to look at passage where the king has displayed himself. And there are going to be people that profess to worship the king, but later turn their back on him. Can you turn with me to the book of Mark? Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a coat tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the coat? And they told them what Jesus had said, and he let them go. Verse 7, and they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who had went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, it was already late. And he went back out to Bethany with the twelve. This passage of scripture is typically most commonly preached during Palm Sunday. Uh, they, most of, many of your Bibles may have as a, as a title, Jesus, the triumphal entry, uh, entry into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passion Week. Here we find Jesus displaying his kingship. The crowds, they lined the streets and they cheered for Jesus as the long and expected king of Israel. But they were hoping for a political king who could lead a military victory against Rome and provide eventual peace and prosperity for their nation. They were not so interested in the Messiah with a spiritual kingdom who would provide forgiveness for their sins, who would be the Lord in every aspect of their lives. No. But why? Why do I say that? Because within a week, somebody say within a week, within a week, the shouts of Hosanna turned into this. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Within one week. What happened? The crowd was following Jesus for the wrong reasons. Such a faulty foundation. Inevitably, what happens to that? It collapses. So Jesus' triumphal entry, this is one of the things that's found in all of the four Gospels. So to understand it properly, we have to recognize it that a complete reversal of all that Jesus has done in his ministry to this point. Up until now, Jesus has mostly kept his identity as Messiah, as the king, kind of down low, as they say, as a secret. When a demon proclaimed him to be the Holy One of God, what did he tell the demon? He says, be quiet. And come out of him. When he healed people, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Even when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he gave strict orders that no one should know about it. When the disciples even gained insight into his identity as Messiah, Jesus told them not to tell anyone. So up until this point, when Jesus was doing these miracles, he says, don't tell anyone. Just go present yourself to the priest, show the sacrifice, but don't tell anyone. But now, here we are, Jesus openly declaring his kingship to the world. So, but now Jesus deliberately, he stages what they call a public demonstration to proclaim himself as the Messiah in Jerusalem at the most widely attended feast of them all. Some scholars say that there was perhaps close to a million pilgrimage people doing the Passover at this city. All of the other gospels make it clear that Jesus set up this event by sending two of his disciples to get the donkey and her colt. And when some of the Pharisees in the crowd objected to the people's shout, Hosanna, so rather than quieting the shouts, Jesus affirmed them by saying this. And he says this in John Luke 19 and 40, which is a parallel account. He says this. I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So there is a dramatic shift in Jesus' ministry at this point. And so we need to understand why. 
The answer lies in the Jewish concept of the Messiah in Jesus' day. The Messiah comes from a Hebrew word meaning to anoint. Christ comes from the Greek word means to anoint. Thus, the Messiah or Christ is the one whom God anoints, sent to deliver his people from sin and to rule over them as king and lord. The kings of Israel were God's anointed rulers of his people, but they always fell short. Even David, the greatest king in Israel, made some serious mistakes. But God promised to send one of David's descendants to reign on his throne who would rule in absolute righteousness and justice, crushing the opposition under his feet. This political aspect of the Messiah as the king dominated the Jewish thought at this time. That was their main thing. That's what they thought as their coming king is coming, as the Messiah, one who would deliver them from the Roman Empire. But the Old Testament presents a second aspect of the Messiah, namely that he would be the suffering servant who would bear the sins of his people, deliver them from God's judgment, and establish a kingdom of righteousness. He would not only be king, but he would also be Israel's prophet and priest. Let's look at Zechariah 9 and 9. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is the other aspect of Messiah's entry. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. Here we see Jesus fulfilling prophecy once again, the king openly displaying his kingship. This passage of scripture presents the Messiah not as a warrior mounted on a powerful horse, but as a humble mounted on the foal of a donkey. This idea of the Messiah as the humble sin bearer of his people was not dominant with the Jews in, during that time. They were looking for the political Messiah, the one who would come in on a horse, slay the Roman, and bring peace and prosperity back to his people. In the triumphal entry, Jesus was declaring himself to be Israel's Messiah. He's declaring it right now openly, but not the kind of Messiah that they expected. He did not ride into Jerusalem on a powerful war horse to lead the charge against Rome, but on a foal of a donkey which was not thought of as a kingly animal in Jesus' day, to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins. So with all this as the foundation for understanding this pivotal point in Jesus' ministry, let's examine how this applies to us. Number one, make sure that you fall as Jesus because of who he is, not because of what you think, he might provide for you. I love the worship. We sang it today. We worship you because of who you are. We worship you because of who you are. We give you glory. Why? Just because of who you are. How appropriate for this right here. 
John is the only gospel to mention the palm branches that we now associate with Palm Sunday. Palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism and victory over their enemies. The crowd was hopeful that Jesus was the Masonic, Messianic liberator who would free them from Rome. The group consisted of those who gave a claim to Jesus because they thought of the worldly benefits he could provide for them. They thought that he would usher in the age of peace and prosperity. The application is this, is that our faith will be greatly shaken or damaged if we follow Jesus because of what we think he can give to us in terms of financial prosperity, in terms of good health, and other worldly benefits. But if, but if you are in, but what about if you contract a serious illness? What happens if something, you, you, you sit really, you, you're just down and out. What if you suffer a severe financial loss? You lost your job, you're going through bankruptcy, you're about to get evicted, you got red notices on the door. What about if you're marriage? What, what if it's just not the storybook wedding that you envisioned it to be? What if it just wasn't, you know, the, you know, one boy, one girl, white picket fits, you know? It, you know, the storybook wedding where the two just live forever, blissfully forever. What if that just doesn't happen? What if your children don't follow the Lord? And what if they rebel against you? What happens? What happens? Sure, God can do all these great miracles. He can do all these things. He can truly do this. Let me prove a point. Two sides of the same coin. Hebrews chapter 11. Please follow me. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 29. We're going to see how God, he's able to do all these things through faith, but we also see another part that a lot of people don't like to finish reading on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, 35, and I'm going to proceed right now. It says this, the writer of Hebrews, he says, By faith, people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcomage to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samuel, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And look at this. Some were tortured, refusing except release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, 
and in dens and caves of the earth. So yes, yeah, so God does give dramatic victories to his people. Yes, he does. But right in the middle of verse 35, we saw the shift. We saw how people who trusted in God, they were mocked, they were scourged, they were imprisoned, they were martyred. The reward is not in this life, but in the life to come. I'm going to say that again. The reward is not in this life, but in the life to come. I have to say this. The health and wealth teaching to me is heresy, and it leads people to disappointment, and it damages their faith when things don't turn out as the false teachers say that they would. It's a very dangerous doctrine. We shouldn't follow Jesus because we think he would give us all the goodies that we want in this life. And because of this, a lot of damage is done in the body of Christ and those that are not even in the body of Christ. It does a lot of damage. So we're going to look at just a few, and there's so many, just a few. Let's look at some wrong reasons for following Jesus or the wrong reasons for attending church, the wrong reasons for worshiping. Let's just look at a few. Just look at a few. Following Jesus for material things. Number one, following Jesus for material things. Luke 12 and 15 says this. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. This is what Christ says. So some people's view of God being a type of, like a, like a type of Santa Claus, right? To certain people, the primary motive for following God is because they believe he would give them what their flesh and their carnal minds desire. Their motivation to acquire riches and possession blinds, blinds them from genuinely following God for the right reasons because they have been deceived into believing that God must grant them whatever they desire. They believe that, that God must grant them what they desire. However, Jesus teaches that life is more than what possessions we have or any amount of money that we have. If we seek after material things only, we are so short-sighted and do not understand God's eternal plan. We're short-sighted. Jesus also taught that our primary focus should be to seek God's kingdom and righteousness, what? First. John 6 and 27, it says this. This is what he says. He said, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. It is also important to realize that while God is our provider, it is God's prerogative to either give to us or to withhold from us the material things that we desire. It's his sovereign, it's his prerogative. Therefore, God is not obligated to give us what we want because guess what? Our king, he's not Santa Claus. He is not Santa Claus. He is God. Another wrong reason. I've seen this a lot. Seeking an emotional experience in church. They're seeking this emotional experience. John 4, 23 and 24 says this to this matter. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So some people go to church or follow Jesus because they're seeking for this emotional experience. They're seeking for this, like this emotional high. I talk to people all the time, you know, they complain about the, they complain about the ministry that they're in, and say they're not being fed and stuff, but they say, I felt good, the preacher was hooping today, felt real good. But what was the message about? I don't know. But he sure was hooping. They're looking for this, this emotional high. They're looking to feel good. Some people believe that if they have this emotional experience at church, that it means that God has visited them or that they're growing spiritually. However, is following Jesus really about seeking an emotional experience? Something we need to ask ourselves. And is having an emotional experience, no matter how temporary or emotional it might be, can such experience be equivalent to true spiritual growth in a person's life? Matthew 13, 20 through 21 says this. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Right. Immediately he falls away. When Jesus spoke about the parable of the sword, he spoke of a type of people who hear God's word, receive God's word with joy, and with a lot of excitement and energy. However, the fact that when their joyful, excited at receiving God's word was not enough to sustain their spiritual growth because of the problem was not firmly rooted in God's word through meditation and obedience. These emotional experiences do not automatically guarantee that things is going to be all right. The problem with going to church or seeking God because you want an emotional experience is that you will find yourself going through a, a cycle of unpredictability. You'll be up and down. You'll be vacillating and inconsistency. Therefore, your relationship with the Lord is based on feelings. A wrong reason to follow the king because you're looking to feel good. You, you feel good with the crowd. They, the crowd is, Hosanna, yes. Wrong reason. Another position. Jesus had to deal with this issue in his own fold for position, power, and recognition. Yeah, a lot of people, they'll follow God for that. For position, for power and for recognition. Mark 10, 43 and 45, right here in the book where we're studying, Jesus says this, but, shall, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself, he says he came to serve, not to be served. But yet many people are coming to serve Christ because they're looking for position, power, and recognition. I have often seen, I've experienced, and I heard about situations where people may appear to be interested in following God and in doing the work of God, but yet their motive is to gain various positions or power or influence within the church. 
Our duties as Christians is not to seek self-glory. I'm going to say that again. Our duty as Christians is not to seek self-glory. We said about it today. We give you the glory, God. Why? Just because of who you are. Period. Because of who you are. But whatever we do, we must give glory and praise to God whom we serve and live for. Our King. Why should we follow Jesus? Well, why should we follow him? Why should we declare him our king? Why should we follow behind him? We said it before, because we love him. If you love somebody, you will want to do things that pleases them. John 14 and 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Another reason why we should follow Jesus. Follow Jesus because of who he is, God's Messiah and King. If our faith rests on the person of Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture, then you will not be shaken whether you go to prison or if you're blessed with prosperity. You may suffer terrible health. You may even die at a young age. Or you may even enjoy good health. But your faith does not rest on happy circumstances. I'm going to say it again. Your faith should not be based upon happy circumstances, but on who Jesus is and what he has promised his children throughout eternity. Because he is our Lord and Savior. Acts 4 and 12, it says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Why else should we worship? Because only he can satisfy our every need. If we, as, as we look upon the urgency of the gospel to the urban soul, people out here, they're looking for something. There's, there's this void that's missing in their life. There's something that they're searching for. Contrary to the teachings of various prosperity teachers, God's mandate is not to supply us with every material need. But however, he does supply us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 and 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Jesus said to them in John 6 and 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That void is filled in Jesus Christ, the one and only true risen king. Why? Because he says this. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why he is our king. Here's another fact. We can oppose Jesus and succeed in the short run, but in the long run, you will lose and he'll win. I know we're in the book of Mark, but John's account of this, of, of this uh, incident here in John 12, 19 mentions the frustration of the Pharisees as they saw the crowds exalting Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. They were frustrated. So the Pharisees, it says this to one another. You see, they're not going to do any good. Look, the world has gone after him. This is another example 
uh, of, of what is going on here. The Pharisees, the Pharisees meant this. It says, everyone is going after Jesus. Our efforts to get rid of him have failed. But by the end of that week, the tide had turned. The Jewish leaders were gloating in their victory. It was short-lived. Why? Because Jesus, he got up with all power and glory in his hand. So it appeared, it appeared, you know, once they crucified, it appeared that they won. It appeared that they succeeded. In the short run, they succeeded. And today, we may think we're, we're succeeding. A lot of times, we, we, we see the unrighteous people. We see that they're excelling. We're seeing that they're doing better than us. We're seeing that the whole world is given to them. It appears like that in the short run. Jesus wins every time. Interesting. This is very interesting. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, there's another scene with palm branches. And it's the only other time palm branches are mentioned in the New Testament. It says this. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. It says, after this, after these things I looked. This is John. And behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were laid in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This scene shows us the ultimate triumph of the king. So the Jewish leaders, they succeeded in crucifying him. Oh yeah, they were successful in crucifying him, but he will reign over all throughout eternity. Scripture right here is demonstrating, that the, uh, demonstrating the point that you can oppose Jesus, and in the short run, it may look, someone say look, it may look as you have succeeded in your rebellion. But in the long run, Jesus will win, and you will lose if you have not yielded to him before he comes again. So did the people know he had the credentials of the Messiah? Did the peoples here, did they know that he had the credentials of a king? Yes, they did. They knew it. Yep, he was born in the line of David. He was a miracle worker. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised dead people. How could they possibly decide to crucify him? I'll give you a real simple example. Listen to this. This is true. If Jesus doesn't do what the sinner wants Jesus to do, the sinner will turn on him. Can I tell you something? False or misguided worship like this going every day, all the time. Just turn on your television. Just turn on your turn. Turn to some of, the, some of these Christian radio uh, TV stations and watch all the hoopla about Jesus and watch all the swaying and the groaning and the moaning and the singing and the praises. And the preacher said, Jesus is going to give you all the desires of your heart. He's going to give you your dreams. Jesus will fill all your desires. And I tell you, all the praises and all the hoopla is going to go on until Jesus doesn't deliver the goods that they're looking for then a sinner, he falls away. That's why this pros the prosperity message is so dangerous. It lies. It promises those with a fallen sinner, with, with the fallen sinner, what he already wants. It promises them what he already wants. What a true believer wants is what will glorify God, honor Christ, and increase his attractiveness to the people around him. That's what a true believer wants. The sinful heart 
I've learned this. The sinful heart can be very interesting to a non-believer. It can be very interesting. They can be interested in Jesus. They can be interested. But the sinful heart can be very, very religious until Jesus attacks their worldview. Funny we're talking about that, right? Until Jesus attacks their world, until Jesus attacks their unbelief. A lot of times uh, people uh, at work, they know uh, uh, that I'm a believer. And they ask all these interesting questions. And to the best of my ability, I answer them with the help of the Lord. But then when the word of God convicts their heart, they, they lose interest. And they want to know what you believe and how you do things and, and all this stuff. But when you present to them the word of God and, it, and, and it's presented to them, they're faced with the decision, they turn their backs on them. They seem very interested, very interested, seem to be very willing to hear what you have to say. But when the rubber meets the road, they lose interest. Here's a very important question that we all should examine. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Someone may say this. I'm following Jesus because I want him to give me a godly marriage partner. That's a legitimate need. And guess what? He can supply that. But that shouldn't be your main reason to follow Jesus. Or you may follow Jesus because you want him to heal your body. That's, you say, that's why I follow him, because I want him to heal my body. He can do it. He's, he can do it. Sure he can. God is sovereign. He's healed before. He still heals. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? For whatever sovereign will that he has within himself. Will you still follow him? Will you still follow the king? The right reason to follow Jesus is because of who he is. The right reason to say that he is the king is because, yes, indeed, he is the king. He's God's anointed one, the rightful king over every heart and life. He died for our sins. He arose from the grave, and he's coming back in power and glory to reign over all. So whether you struggle with tribulation, distress, persecution, poverty, health issues, death itself, you can overwhelmingly conquer if your faith is in him as your Lord and Savior. One more scripture. Turn with me to Romans 8. Romans 8 and 35. I want us all to get there. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, 
for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we should follow Jesus because of who he is, not for the worldly benefits that he might give you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, we are, we are here. We came here to lift up the name of Jesus. But God wants to make sure that our heart is right. But God knows the hearts of man. I pray that we are all here because to worship him, him just like we were singing and professing, because of who he is. That's it. He's our king. He's the ruler. He loves us. He loved us before anything else. He loves us. There may be someone here today that says, I feel the call of God drawing me to you. I want to let you know that he is the king. He's proven himself. He's already proven himself that he's the king. What more proof do you need? There's no debate. Even the unbelievers, they don't debate that Jesus existed. There's proof after proof after proof that Jesus is Lord. Every head bow. There may be someone here today that says, you know what? I've been worshiping. I've been coming to church. I've been following Jesus for all the wrong reasons.